Greetings. Greetings to everyone. This is Dr. I, and I'm sitting with my buddy, Dr. Joe, and we're going to look out the window this afternoon. How you doing, sister? You know what, Dr. I, usually when you ask me that question, it's a short answer, but today it's going to be a little bit of an essay. I can wait. All right. So if, if you wouldn't mind indulging me for just a few minutes to set the context for our very important discussion this week, I'm going to give you a little personal reflection because that's what we do here on the window. We reflect and I'm going to try to keep it as a reflection and not as a rant. So um, every week, as you know, Dr. I, we spend time during the week talking about debating about sometimes what we want to discuss on Saturdays. And this week, I was pretty adamant about what I did not want to talk about. Amen. I did not want to talk about Will and Jada Smith. Me either. And that's not new. I stopped wanting to talk about them years ago. That's not personal. They don't know me. I don't know them. And I confess that like so many others, I spent years actually initially intrigued by this so-called power couple that seemed so willing to put all of their personal life out on the air for all of us to listen to and so I listened to them but when I heard them talk about how unhappy they were in the midst of all of their wealth and fame I thought well try being a below minimum wage single parent for a while and see how mm -hmm. unhappy that makes mm -hmm. you but I heard them talk about their open marriage and I heard them talk about how they emancipated their children at a young age because who were they to tell their children what to do? And I thought, well, maybe you're their parents. But I heard them talk about their their entanglements, also known back in the day as affairs, and I heard them announce their gender fluidity of their children. And I don't mean to judge any of that. That's them doing them, that's their business. But over time, I just stopped listening because although I wish them well, especially now, what they were saying just didn't add value to my life. But then this past week, as we record this, we're about five days away from the Academy Award and what's what's been called the slap heard around the world. I call it a slave slap when Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. And so I did not, Dr. I, as you know, as we talked this week, I did not want to join the now endless online commentary we've all heard in the past five days. As my dad would say, I just said, I don't have a nickel in that dime. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, and, and, and so Yes, maybe comedians should stop making tasteless jokes, although that would include Will Smith making fat jokes every week on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air about Uncle Phil and, and him perhaps demeaning young black intelligent males by his Carlton nerd jokes. But again, I was okay with us totally ignoring that until more and more of the commentary began to suggest to me that there were those who thought that this slapping silliness demonstrated the way that we as black women need our men to protect us. And only when I began to hear that did I agree to use my microphone here today to subject ourselves and our audience to yet another round of Will and Jada induced commentary. This time though with my own personal rant that I'm going to title, y'all not going to get my son killed out here. Mm -hmm. I understand. Okay. I understand. You are not going to create now on my watch an image that suggests to my beautiful young black males and others like him of any color that the way to show your love for your significant other is to end up in jail or end up dead or beat up over stuff that could have been handled in so many other ways. And I have just really one sentence, and I've already shared that with you, is 
what happened to the golden rule i used to hear that in my house morning noon and night how do you treat people you treat them the way you want to be treated how simple how much more simple can we make it male female old young whatever the case may be and maybe it's a generational thing maybe it's us little old women uh that still hold on to that principle but it works it works when we do it in my house i used to hear there's a time and place for everything, everything. and based on both my personal and professional experience that the time and the place for violence for violence to make sense is so limited. The number of times is so limited, so minimal, that in my mind, all that happened this week was just another example of what I believe, and we've talked about it on this show, Dr. I, just another example of senseless violence in our society. And so that's the context we're gonna put all this in this week. I'd ask our listeners to think along with us of this violence that seems to be taking over our lives. We have homicides in our city. We broadcast from central Ohio, but we know we're heard all over the state. And homicides in our city are at record highs. And when we delve into the reasons, the reasons just often don't make any sense. And, and not only physical violence, I've talked to some people this week, friends of mine, that haven't talked to their families in decades. How do you do that? And Certain cultures... Like if you cross the line, you never come back. I can't wrap my head around that because in my family, if you make a mistake, if you say something wrong, you grovel, you say you sorry, and you start over again. But in some cultures, you are gone forever. And passive aggressive sometimes is as bad as outwardly aggressive. We, we have people now who don't wanna go back to work post pandemic for a lot of reasons. But one of them being that the number one reason people don't like their jobs is because the way they're treated mm -hmm. by their bosses mm -hmm. in terms of probably not physical contact, but passive aggressive contact. We, we live right now, even as we record, in a world where we have a country just dropping bombs on civilians because they don't know of any better way to handle that conflict or no better way that they're, they're comfortable with. We have videos all over the internet about, I'm gonna use the term Karens with apologies to people named Karen and people who take offense to that, but people who just rant and rave about wearing masks and getting cut off in traffic. And I admit that there are times I have to take a deep breath and calm myself down and go, you know what, we, we, we have so-called patriots who stormed the Capitol building because their person didn't get elected. We have folks who are so frustrated by years of what they believe to be systemic inequality that they believe they have no choice but to go out and commit acts of violence to be heard. And I've got to reflect on the corner of Baird Park and Evans in Evansville, Indiana, when my black family integrated the neighborhood. And my dad and Mr. Falls, the next the man that lives next door is the white guy, used to get together and talk about their yards and talk about the sun and talk about those uh, matters that they both uh, belong to. And they became the best of friends. I'm talking about 60s folks when there were you know, some disagreements going on across the nation. These two men, used to love to get out and talk about their yards on the weekends and snow shoveling and their children that were the same age. And we played together in Evansville, Indiana. And for those of you that have never been there, haven't had the joy of going there, it's at the tip of the boot, 
you can spit on Kentucky from Evansville, Indiana, and it's clearly dominated by Caucasians. And we were the first black family in the neighborhood, and I was one of very few in the elementary school. No problems. And you mentioned elementary school. We start talking, or perhaps we should begin talking again to young people at a very young age about conflict. We have kids that go home and get their parents' guns and shoot up a school because of the pain of being bullied or inflict damage on themselves. So we could go on and on about this, Dr. I, but we don't want to take any more time away mm -hmm. from the guests that we have here today because we're going to talk about this in the context, not just of how awful this is, but as we try to do every week on the window, we want our listeners to leave thinking that they, they're taking away something that they personally can do to make a difference. And so we're going to start today our, our discussion about not just conflict, but conflict resolution, positive, productive ways to deal with the inevitable disagreements in our lives. And we're thrilled because we have two great guests on that topic, and we're thrilled because they're both in studio. And I'm thrilled because they're people we know here in central Ohio, but again, wherever you are, you know folks like this. We have Maria Coleman, and she is an expert in what we call alternative dispute resolution, alternative ways to resolve disputes. By profession, she's now the manager of the dispute resolution section of the Supreme Court of Ohio. When I met her, and when she was one of numerous people who trained me on becoming a mediator. She was the supervisor of mediation services for the Franklin County Domestic Relations and Juvenile Courts, which means she dealt with folks who, like many of you listening, were involved in conflict that had to do with family drama. And I know she heard some stuff there, all right? She's an, she was an attorney and mediator in private practice before she began doing that. She's an adjunct instructor in at the Ohio State University Law School and the law school here in Columbus, Ohio at Capital University. She's currently president of the board of directors for the Association for Conflict Resolution. She's a graduate of Yale University Law School. And we also have in here in our studio today the Honorable Judge Stephen McIntosh from the Franklin County Court of Common Pleas. He's also a graduate of The Ohio State University College of Law, the Moritz College of Law. And he was a former formerly in the Columbus City Attorney's Office as an assistant city prosecutor. He has a number of credentials. He was at a law firm, but I'm going to really single out his credentials that have to do with dispute resolution. In addition to being past president of the Columbus Bar Association, he's been chair of the Supreme Court Task Force to examine improvements in grand jury systems, so he's going to talk a lot about the legal processes behind what happens when there are disputes. But he's also a member of the Supreme Court Advisory Advisory committees on dispute resolution. So, if I haven't convinced our folks listening to us that these are people worth listening to, just listen to what they have to say. To both of you, thank you Welcome. for taking time to thank be you. with us today. Thank, thank you. you. Judge McIntosh, I'm going to start with you, but both of you can chime in whenever because I'm assuming that in your court and in your life in the prosecutor's office, you saw instances of disputes that got a little out of control. No, absolutely. Um, unfortunately, uh, so many of the cases that get in front of me that are based on uh, some level of violence uh, is because of lack of impulse control, um, reacting to the situation and circumstances as opposed to taking a step back uh, before your emotions take over. 
Uh, one example that I, I have used on several occasions, uh, several years ago I actually sent someone to prison uh, for stabbing someone, uh, and he stabbed the person because they got into an argument over a beer pong game. Uh, these were two students at The Ohio State University. And when you think about how silly that is, um, that you actually end up stabbing someone because you're arguing over a stupid game, essentially, um, you realize that many people don't know how to react in the moment uh, when they're upset, uh, when they're angry, when they're not getting their way, uh, when they feel disrespected, which is quite a, many of the reasons, unfortunately, uh, that people use violence is because they think someone else has not treated them the way that they feel they should be treated, uh, rather than having a conversation, rather than uh, trying to understand the other person's perspective, they tend to just react. Um, and it is interesting also the number of times that people who are now in front of me in court, um, because of situations and circumstances such as that, are genuinely remorseful and can't you know, put their arms around how did they allow their emotions to put them in the position that they ended up you know, standing in front of me. Uh, so yes, un unfortunately, um, a large percentage uh, of the cases that I get uh, that involve violence, and it's from, um, from a standpoint of uh, persons that don't know each other, strangers, uh, but also uh, household and family members as well uh, that tend to overreact uh, in some domestic violence cases and things of that nature as well. And so you said you sentenced this person to prison, and I want that to sink in on everyone. That person had a lot of time then to be remorseful. What are some examples of the length of prison terms? And I know that varies a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it varies. I mean, usually uh, if someone is, um, um, suffers a significant injury uh, and, and under the law of physical harm, um, they're looking at a felony of the second degree uh, with a maximum prison term of up to eight years. Now, if they use a weapon like a gun, uh, there's usually gun specifications as well where they could get an additional one uh, to three years mandatory time uh, for use of the gun uh, as well. Uh, so it, it, it does depend on, obviously, the person's uh, prior criminal record, criminal history, uh, the, the seriousness of the injuries, um, you know, Yes, if, you know, if you stab someone, it's like, oh, my God, what did I do? It's one thing. If you stab someone and, and then you continue going after them because you, you're trying to make a point, uh, then that person is going to obviously end up with a much more significant criminal uh, penalty uh, than the person that may have just stabbed a person one time. Mm -hmm. And so in, in what types of situations then would someone be referred to Maria, someone like you or the area you used to supervise, in, in what situations would the court say, okay, let's try mediation as opposed to conceivably sentencing, sentencing someone to, to a prison term? Well, I, I worked with the domestic relations and juvenile court. People sent them to mediation often to talk about disputes, family disputes, custody, uh, financial disputes, divorces parent-child issues. We also handled um, juvenile de um, delinquency, where a young person was maybe the first offense, they had done a more minor misdemeanor offense, and rather than go to the court, they diverted them and sent them to mediation, where the, the two, the often students, could talk out of school fights or something, talk it out with their parents there, and try to come up with a resolution, and, you know, and 
work it out rather than have to go to the court. Now, this was for more minor offenses. And so what would a minor offense be? Probably a school fight where it didn't involve a teacher and was no one was very seriously hurt. And a first time, the first time they'd been arrested for something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and what would you talk to youth about in those mediation sessions? Well, certainly have them tell the story, talk about what was behind it. Often there was something behind it. Maybe the student who lashed out had been bullied. Maybe there was other kids pressuring them to do something and have them think through what other options they could have and then how they wanted the future to look. Did they, how if they want to interact with each other in the future or not, but to make a plan so they would have a nonviolent future regarding this other person. Mm-hmm. And, and the future is very important. Judge McIntosh, when someone has a jail sentence, I'm sorry, a, a prison sentence, what happens to them after they get out? Is it no harm, no foul? It, you know, it, it depends on the situation for the uh, for persons that would end up going to prison for a felonious assault offense. Uh, they're coming out of prison and going to have some level of supervision, which we call post-release control. Uh, they'll have an APA officer, uh, depending on the situation. You know, if it's what's uh, APA? The Adult Parole Authority. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, but they may be uh, placed in a halfway house. They may be. Um, getting involved in, in drug treatment and things of that sort as well. And today what's very big in the, the system is cognitive behavior therapy. Um, we're, we're trying to get people to understand why they make the decisions that they've made. Um, so uh, it is interesting. I mean, a lot of people don't understand why they do the things that they do. Uh, and when, so you, when you start sitting down and having them actually think, um, it hopefully uh, is something that translates in the future that they'll make better decisions than they have up to this point. And so are you suggesting then perhaps that when someone commits a, a random act of violence, I'm going to call it, that there's something perhaps deeper even happening than what happened in that minute? Oh, absolutely. Abs- absolutely. Uh, I, I am our drug court judge here in Franklin County uh, for the Common Pleas Court. Um, the, the, the folks that I have come in front of me, all of them have past traumas of some level, uh, whether it's abuse, um, whether it's um, you know f- uh, family members and abandonment issues and things of that sort. And it's only until they begin dealing with those issues uh, do they are they able to move forward and not sort of repeat their behavior. Uh, so yes, um, I mean yes, there, I mean there are people unfortunately that are just bad. Uh, but there are a lot of people that are just dealing with a lot of situations and circumstances in their life that put them in position in situations where the only thing that they uh, understand or uh, to, to deal with conflict or to deal with their emotions is violence. Uh, and so those are the ones that hopefully we can work with uh, to help them and allow them to make better decisions. Are there differences between the motivations of men and women when they get into the same crime? What would be an example of a difference like a a 50-year-old man versus a 50-year-old woman? Well, I mean, at least the women that I deal with, um, they are always talking about their family. Uh, Even if they have adult kids, they're, they're wanting to get their lives together so that they can be there for their children. I want to see if y'all can get with this. Um, that's, that's not always necessarily the case uh, with the, the men. Um, and so um, that tends to be their motivation. 
and you know if they have younger kids definitely uh, but even when they have older kids and grandkids mm -hmm. um, the, the women's motivation is for the family we're going to take a break we'll be back on the window talking not just about conflict but about conflict resolution We're on the window. We're talking today about conflict resolution and alternative dispute resolution, alternative ways to resolve disputes without resorting to violence or other actions that you'll regret later. Our guests today are Judge Stephen McIntosh and Maria Coleman. Both of them are talking to us so far about what goes on in the court system as a result of consequences for um, actions that we all wish in our society wouldn't have been taken. Um, when we left off, we were talking about um, consequences as it relates to the most extreme example of you're going to jail, you're going to prison because of something that happened that while you're sitting there during your term, you probably wish hadn't happened. And an alternative being perhaps the court shows mercy and and says go to mediation first and see if you can work it out. So let's talk a little bit more about the court system and then we'll talk about what to try to do to keep from getting in the court system. But Judge McIntosh, you mentioned during the break that there's a program designed to try to help people get into mediation. Can you explain that to us? Yes, and in the uh, Columbus City Attorney's Office, uh, they have what's called the Night Prosecutors Program. And it's, it's a mediation program that started uh, in the early 80s and continues today. Um, you can imagine most situations, and, and these are mostly uh, misdemeanor offenses, but you know, neighborhood disputes. And, you, you know, you, you're getting upset with your neighbor, um, you know, maybe one person's throwing a brick, threatening. Um, and so the first thing that comes to mind is I'm going downtown, I'm going to file charges, I'm going to get my neighbor thrown into jail. Uh, but usually if that happens, they'll schedule a mediation first. Uh, to get both of them in the room. Uh, and kind of as Maria indicated, uh, you want to give both sides an opportunity to sort of express their side. Because these folks probably haven't talked to each other. You know, they may have talked at each other. And mediation allows the mediator to work with both sides so that they can hear each other. Uh, and the reason why this is so important is because they're going to continue living next to each other. So going to court, filing criminal charges, and trying to get someone placed into jail is not going to resolve the conflict between the two of them. Uh, and so it's interesting on the number of occasions when actually getting the two of them, uh, the parties into a room, having them listen to each other, uh, and seeing each other as people, um, resolves the issues so that they can actually live next to each other uh, without the, the conflict continuing. Uh, and so that's the, the benefit of, of mediation in situations like this, uh, where going to court, yeah, may get someone convicted, uh, may get someone time in, in jail or, or prison, uh, but it doesn't resolve the issue between the, the, the individuals. Uh, having this type of mediation at least uh, presents an opportunity for the people to see each other uh, as people uh, in an effort to uh, be able to resolve their conflict uh, and be able to live next to each other. I have a question, Judge, and for you, Maria. What's changed between, let's say, 30 years ago with conflict resolution and where we are today? Is it me, or does it seem like more people are 
resorting to violence and guns and and not speaking and just all these very negative behaviors for conflict resolution or or what's what's changed between let's say you know before the 50s um well you know um several things have changed i think one of the things that today that at least makes it so much easier uh is technology uh we have you know um anonymous people uh posting things or saying things uh but it's also just amazing uh the number of cases again that i get in front of me where violence has occurred because someone didn't like what was posted on facebook about them uh or what someone else said uh about them uh on social media uh so that's one aspect uh, but the other is you know and it may be as simple uh as you know I, i'm a christian i go to church uh, there's not as many folks going to church uh, hearing what they need to hear uh, in that regard. Um, but it's just so much easier now, it seems, um, that the the person in the past that used to commit, well, commit violence, um, the community in many occasions in the past uh, would work with that person or that person would feel bad uh, because the community uh, indicated to them that it was not acceptable. Today, I don't. The, the community doesn't do that. Uh, the community doesn't uh, take their children, their, their young folks, uh, at an early age and say, "Okay, you're not going to behave like that in my neighborhood." Um, and as we all know, growing up, um, if we did something uh, and our neighbors saw. Uh, our neighbors could chastise mm -hmm. us, uh, and then they would do what they needed to do. And then once we got home, our parents would do the same. Um, unfortunately, uh, time and time again, when people are in front of me, you know, one, if, if I'm sentencing someone, I will ask, okay, you know, how far did you go in school? Um, eighth grade, seventh grade, um, you know, and I'm thinking, how can someone stop going to school in the seventh or the eighth grade? Uh, because they're essentially raising themselves at this time. And they have very little concept uh, of, I don't want to make it so simple as right and wrong, but very little concept of how to go about living life as an adult. And you know what else is different? I was just thinking about this. Television, PG, R, all these classifications now based on the level of complexity, the level of violence, the level of sexual content. I was watching TV last night. I had to turn it off. Turn it off. Because I could see violence. I could see rape. I could see anything that I wanted to see as a norm on a television show. I didn't have to have buy anything, go to any movie theaters. It was right there in front of me. Okay, now don't you, you looked over here to try to make eye contact with me. Don't do that because right now I'm still smarting because Judge McIntosh just said something that impacted me personally. So, okay. so all of our listeners, okay, take a deep breath as we begin to talk about strategies for you, not just in Hollywood, but strategies for you and your own conflict. So mm -hmm. Judge McIntosh mentioned social media. Mm -hmm. And so I confess that I love a good social media battle. 
<laughs> There's nothing I love more than to see somebody with an opinion on social media. All the better if I don't know them, okay? And I just get busy and I just <laughs> I give them a piece of my mind and then I wait to get a notification that they responded. So perhaps that's one thing. I could do better. We we have, as we know, we have politicians now who post their views on social media and not in a very nice way. Name calling, insult, hurling, lie telling. And so, all right, I'm gonna try to do better. And, and Maria, as it relates to people who are listening, Judge McIntosh just mentioned neighbors who have to keep living side by side. Hmm, I just put a note in my neighbor's mailbox just this morning about dog poop in my yard. But anyway, it was a nice note. But Maria, as it relates to families, families not only have to keep living side by side, they have to live in the same household. What, what kind of tips and strategies did you and your mediators in domestic court talk to families about? Okay, a couple things. One, the interesting thing is, as Judge McIntosh just said, there's more, I agree too, there seems to be more violence, more problems nowadays but yet there's more programs and there are more options um, most counties have mediation programs now which wasn't the case 30 40 years ago and in family court for people who are have to co-parent a lot of times they have to think of how to put their own personal disagreements aside not and how they're going to work together for the benefit of their children and they a mediator can help them plan that because it's not an easy conversation for people who may hate each other but if they often love their own kids more and they want to come up with a solution. So, and for people who are living in the same house, a couple easy suggestions. One, really listen to each other. Not just kind of hear it. Sit down with a person, look at them, watch them, and hear what they have to say. Let them know you're listening. Do some what we call kind of reflective listening. Nod your head go uh-huh whatever your style is maybe even say a statement like I think I understand what you're saying let me see if I got it right you're saying that you're very upset because Mary I'm making this up Mary took your cell phone and broke it so you're reflecting back and a lot of times if you're wrong they'll tell you of course and that can you can do that at home and sometimes it's really easy to do um, also maybe say something, we call it reframing in mediation, but if someone says something pretty insultingly, say it back to them with taking the insulting words out, keeping the meaning, but taking the any insults, taking any bad words out, and just say it back in kind of more neutral terms, but not, you're still hearing it. You can still acknowledge their emotion because that's really important. And you may need a mediator, and a mediator can be a professional, of course, but sometimes even just having a really good family or friend who is not involved in the situation. Because as we all know, when we're personally involved, I mean, I'm a professional mediator, but sometimes I have to do some self-talk to myself if I'm involved in the situation. If someone's make me mad, I you know, have to think, oh no, what would I do if I was a mediator compared to the person who's in the middle of this? So it sometimes it helps to have a third person. A professional is great, but even just a family member who's a good listener and willing to do these kind of lead you through these techniques. And, and you mentioned having family and friends. I know when I was getting trained by you and others, Maria, in, in juvenile court, 
um, someone who I was role modeling in terms of a mediator whenever a child in juvenile court going through mediation would talk about friends, the mediator would stop and say, okay, where are your friends right now? And they go, I don't know, they're you know, on the playground, they're at home. And they'd say, where are you right now? And they'd say, in court. And so the, the art for those who are kids and adults of being a good friend, a trained mediator is known as a neutral. Mario, what does that mean, a neutral? Someone who's not involved in the situation. In, for a professional mediator, they have to be, not be involved with the family either. Like if someone has a conflict, we call a conflict of interest. Say if, when you were mediating, if you knew one of the families, we would pick a different mediator. So for a professional, we want to have someone who either doesn't know them at all or knows them so casually that they have no relationship with them. That's kind of a way mediation is done here in the United States. And it kind of just helps people who make sure the person's not involved. And so it, it's often hard to be a neutral in situations involving family and friends. But with youth, we would say, when you see your friend about to get in a fight, are you the one who says, I'll hold your books, go get them? Or are you the one who says, you know what, come on, man, come on, friend, let's, let's go down the street and, and let's talk about this. And as Dr. I said earlier today, let's count to 10. <laughs> count to 10. That's an old school method of just chilling out, walk away, go take a break i don't know what happened to those old school methods of backing away from conflict and i think there's a missing link in our educational system from kindergarten all the way through with getting out of fights i think that that has to be a discipline that when you're in kindergarten somebody takes your toy you don't smack them you either go tell the teacher or something. We haven't done a good job with that based on my knowledge of what my children went through, which is honestly, I mean, my kids went to Bishop Hartley. There's some structure over there. There used to be some structure over there where you just didn't take matters into your own hands. But I think that there's a missing link in the educational system with conflict resolution. There needs to be a class. There needs to be you don't graduate until you get through this. We've got to take, in my mind, and I'm not an expert, but in my mind, a much more a disciplined, structured approach to conflict re resolution training with our children. And, and I, was, um, I was asked to be part of a group that put together that training by a pastor of a church. And the way he came up with that idea was that his kids had gone to a school where they had peer mediation where when kids got in trouble at school, there were others selected to be peer mediators and they would help those students work through that. And I, I think at a minimum, um, even outside of the school, role modeling also begins at home. And to go back to Will Smith for just a moment, it was called to my attention that he wrote a book that talked about one of his very early experiences was watching his mom in a domestic violence situation with his dad. And he watched, as he believed, helpless as a seven-year-old, I believe, as his, his dad knocked his mom unconscious and he didn't do anything to help. And he felt bad about that. So I think a, a couple of home lessons, that's a very extreme example. But we've had shows on domestic violence, Dr. I, and just one more reason to leave those situations with the help of, of appropriate resources because your kids are watching you. So it went from him being a seven-year-old to him doing what he did and his son who now posted 
this is how we do it or something like that. That's generational trauma. And that's part of what you talked about, Judge McIntosh, in terms of, of people needing help. So yes, our, our schools and our churches, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment as well, is there more we can do? But even in our homes, my son had to call me down because, okay, I was in a customer service situation. I guess I was one of those so-called Karens and I wasn't pleased. And afterwards he said to me, he looked me in the eye and said, was it really worth that mom? And I realized when I'm with my son too, I have to avoid putting him in situations where he believes he has to do the macho thing and I even this week talked to him about macho figures like his granddad who could silence a dispute in our home with a look. That's all it took was mm-hmm. a look. And and that translated to when someone in our home was being disrespectful and my son walked in the house, did the same look, did the same thing, a look, tone of voice, put an end to that. We have role models. President Barack Obama, Michelle Obama took so many silly insults Never once did I see either one of them publicly lose their cool. We just saw a, a confirmation hearing for Judge Katanji Brown Jackson where her dad and her husband were in the room and watched it very intense to say the least grilling. The way they showed their love and support afterwards was with a hug and a kiss. There was no doubt that they had her back and supported her. So our kids watch us as adults and they expect us to demonstrate adult behaviors not just talk about don't hit each other little Johnny but don't hurl insults at, 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 at dad when kids are in the room and and the end result can be much more than um, hurt feelings in today's world you could end up dead over something silly in a household in school in church walking down the street people have not been taught and or embraced conflict resolution as a part of life. Judge McIntosh, and we're going to go to break in just a moment, but I I want to in particular ask you a question. Those of you who who are listening who don't know Judge McIntosh may not know that he is a black male. And this whole macho stereotype of men in our society, do you have any thoughts about that to share? Not even necessarily from your perspective as a judge, but just as a male in our society. What What's going on with that? Well, I mean, but, but society has taught us, first of all, as males, and then it's a little bit different as black males, that we need to have a certain type of persona uh, to be considered um, macho. I'm going to stop you right there, ask our audience to reflect on that. We'll come back and pick up on that, Judge McIntosh, when we return from the window. We're back on the window talking about conflict resolution, and we want to use our remaining time here to really have you as our listeners think about what our expert guests are talking about and how you can apply that in conflict situations within your own lives. So Judge Stephen McIntosh from the Franklin County Court of Common Pleas, we were just beginning to talk about the fact that we value your opinion as a black male in terms of what seems to be this macho stereotype that sometimes can lead to inappropriate behaviors. Well, you know, um, one of the things, and and I think both of you have have touched on it a a little bit uh, already, uh, is the learned behavior. Um, that if you were growing up in a household uh, in which there is domestic violence, uh, you think that that's the only way uh, that you are to um, interact with your girlfriend, your spouse, 
uh, because that's the way daddy did it. And even though you may uh, have issues with it, uh, when you get into relationships, you exhibit the, the same type of behavior. Uh, and so I think um, that macho-ness then uh, in terms of as a man, uh, the way that I need to resolve conflict is I need to um, not have a conversation with the person that I'm having issues with because that's not macho. Um, I need to physically um, exert my, myself on them. Um, and so many of our young people in the community, uh, that's the way that they've learned to deal with issues uh, and conflict and disagreement. Uh, it's, it's not macho to go have a conversation and to try to figure out, okay, what's the issue and how can we resolve it? Uh, it's just much easier for me to go over there, and unfortunately today, take a gun uh, and shoot the other person uh, as opposed to resolve whatever issues that we may have. Uh, and so much of that is learned and so much of that is uh, sort of part of the persona and the belief uh, that that's what a man is. Uh, a man is not someone that discusses things um, and uh, tries to work out um, the issues. Uh, the man is someone that goes over there and exerts his manhood uh, to show uh, that um, you know he's the boss, essentially. And, and then even for young people who don't grow up in those types of households, there's the all-important peer pressure mm -hmm. that kicks in at some point. And so if you are the nerdy kid, however that's defined, and especially if you're a nerdy kid who's being bullied, which is aggra unbelievable aggravation and emotional distress. How, what, what thoughts do you have, either Maya or Judge McIntosh, on, on how a, a young person or even an older person handles that type of situation rationally? It's really hard, and one of the things is the importance that you just mentioned earlier of trying to teach some conflict resolution skills so that it, that could kick in instead of the image of the violence. Because when someone's in the middle of conflict, your mind doesn't think clearly. You don't um, think as well as you do other times. And so if you have, you go back to what your learned behavior is. If it's violence, that's what you may do. You may lash out. If it's you've learned some conflict resolution skills or learned other skills, um, and some of the schools are now having restorative practices. They're actually teaching that, modeling it in the school. The schools are using it for discipline. Some of the schools, even in Columbus, a few number, few of them, um, they're using it for discipline. They're also using it in the classroom to kind of model the skills so the kids practice it. They have circles to talk about issues and they do it in an organized manner. And then hopefully when the child is confronted with a situation, they'll think more of the talking it out than the violence. That's, that's the goal, to teach them how to do it. And that's called a restorative practice. And by the way, to our listeners, if you're not a regular listener, you can interact with our guests as well. You can go to your email and send us an email right now at thewindowfeedback at gmail.com. Thewindowfeedback at gmail.com. So tell us more about these restorative practices. What does that mean? Well, it's ways of teaching people. It's kind of a restoring good relate. It's based on restoring relationships. It's done um, uh, when people in a, con in a mediation or in any kind of system where talk through the problem and try to resolve it rather than use a violence or ignore it even because then it festers 
but to talk it through and using a, a method because it helps to have a plan because it, again, and they vary, restorative practices. Sometimes they're talking with someone you had a, two students who had a conflict in school. They may have a teacher or leader help them through the conversation. They may go to a professional mediator for that kind of who brought into the school or in the court, as you were saying. Um, so it's ways of kind of restoring a relationship is the theory behind it. But the idea is sometimes done just to teach the con teaching conflict resolution schools. And sometimes it's done just called as conflict resolution education. It can mm -hmm. be another term for it. There's lots of different, and they're a little different, but the concept of teaching people how and modeling good ways of resolving conflict can be helpful. So when I had the privilege this past summer of working with a summer camp program on conflict resolution, the, the kids helped put together a model. And I, I want to share that today with our experts, see what you think about it and, and help us refine it. And for our listeners, if you have a, a some paper or your electronic device and want to jot it down, that's great. So we ended up calling this the DID model, D-I-D. And the reason for that is when something out of control happens, we always say, well, look at what he did, or, or look what she did. And so the, the first D that they came up with was, was de-escalate. De-escalate, what do you think about that? What are some ways to just bring a situation down, calm it down? Well, um, I mean, just as Iris mentioned earlier, you know, uh, the, the count to 10. I mean, <laughs> disescalating a situation is pulling yourself back before you make a decision that you ultimately regret. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the hard part um, is to not act impulsively, um, mm -hmm. not to um, do the first thing that sort of comes to mind. Uh, so absolutely, uh, the one of the first steps in any sort of conflict resolution situation is trying to de-escalate the situation. Um, and, you know, so many times it's the words that get exchanged back and mm -hmm. forth uh, that then only leads to one result, uh, mm -hmm. which is that we have to then come to blows at some level. Mm -hmm. we, we ask the kids to, to role model certain situations, and, and, and you're absolutely right. Words was one thing when we debriefed. They talked about words. They talked about people who were just playing with each other. And they didn't realize, and sometimes they truly didn't realize, okay, another confession, this is so awful. We had somebody we grew up with, and we, and you know how he had kid nicknames, and he was a big guy, and we used to call him Big Dumb. And we thought that was just, that was a term of endearment. And years later, we found out how hurtful that was. Fat people don't like those Well, words. he wasn't even I'm fat. He was, he was just a big, muscular, Still. kind of attractive guy because he was so big. But anything physical, right? people don't right. like that. Right. So de-escalating, the young people said that the, the terms that they talked about, one of them actually brought up the term they had learned called emotional intelligence and emotional maturity. What about N-I-G-G-E-R, folks? Um, that's a word that there are a lot of debates about. You see, about. I didn't say it. The, the N word. And, and back in our generation, those used to be fighting words. Yes, in the alley. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the, the, the first D in this did model was de-escalate. The I was to come up with ideas, different ways to handle it. Is there a better way? Is there a different way? These are, I jotted down some of the thoughts they came up with. One was to apologize. And that's really hard to do to just say, you know what, I, I'm just sorry. Another we've already talked about, walk away. Mm -hmm. Another, surround yourself with true friends, real friends who won't tell you 
you know what? I don't think you won that fight. You better try it again. Mm-hmm. Another idea to, to implement was avoid. I actually heard that the actress Angela Bassett's husband was on the air, Courtney Vance, and he said that he and his wife have just learned to avoid certain crowds. If, if, if you know what's going to be a trigger. And, and let me stop for a minute and ask our expert about the term trigger. What does trigger mean as it relates to situations to try to avoid as a, a good idea to think about? What's a trigger? Well, you know, generally speaking, a, a trigger is some sort of past trauma that you've had. And if you're in situations or circumstances, uh, it sort of takes you back um, to where you were and, and sort of kicks you to a different level. Um, and so, you know, I think it's smart um, for people that are in recovery. Uh, one of the first things that they learn is people, places, and things. You can't go hang out with the same people. You can't go uh, to the same places that you used to go to, and you can't do the same things. Are you talking about drugs? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, but they're triggers. Certain folks you hang out with causes triggers. Certain places you go to causes triggers. Certain things that you used to do. And so it's, it's avoiding those triggers. I think same thing with conflict. I mean, there are certain folks that you know that you probably shouldn't be hanging out with. And uh, I think you were talking earlier uh, about peer pressure uh, and under, knowing and understanding that there's a certain group of folks because they're up to no good. And if I'm hanging out with them, then I'm probably going to be up to no good as well. Uh, that it's probably best that I don't uh, associate with them. Um, so uh, absolutely. Uh, people need to recognize what their triggers are because sometimes those triggers lead to violence. Again, taking you someplace where you usually don't go, uh, but because of either what someone said uh, or the situation or circumstances you find yourself in, uh, you all of a sudden react in a way that normally you would not. Good. So and another idea on this list of ideals that represent better alternatives than violence is to know your own triggers and to know the triggers of others you live with. And, and sometimes you push those buttons, you poke that bear intentionally. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. Compromise. And Mario, I'll turn back to you as it relates to, to mediation. Compromise is you know, basically kind of coming up with a middle solution. Collaboration is even putting the time in to think of the best solution. You don't always have time to do that, and some of the young people in a short, in the middle of a conflict that may not have time, but then later on go back and say, let's try to come up with a, a new plan for next time this happens. I, I, you discuss triggers, something that sets you off. Okay, whenever someone says this, I get upset, so collaborate. When you say this, it gets me upset, so collaborate and make a new plan for what's going to happen so that you can have a situation that to avoid that situation if possible. And unfortunately, I got to say this, there are some people that you just don't need to be around. Absolutely. People you don't need to be I'm around. Sp- yeah, speaking from, you know, many people that represent the divorced group of people segment. If you find that you're just always on the wrong page with the wrong sentence and with this person, just don't continue. It's better to try to learn a new path than to create one that's just never gonna work. That the reason I became a mediator was because of my own prolonged domestic debate. And one of my friends who had been through something similar said, after years of me fighting, said, how can you bring this to some resolution? 
I had never thought about that. The, the, the idea of resolving a domestic dispute and learning to show some empathy toward the other parent and especially toward my child had never crossed my mind. So again, in this model that youth came up with, this did model of conflict resolution, look at what so-and-so did. The first D was de-escalate. The I was think of other ideas. And then the D was now you've got some decisions to make. The first decision being, is it worth it? What are the consequences? Is it worth it? You know, and, and that's the thing that most people don't consider the consequences. It's only afterwards that they begin to even uh, consider, okay, I, I screwed up, um, and how did I get myself in this situation and circumstance? Uh, and so that's the, you know, taking the 10 seconds, but that's also the, the, the cognitive behavior uh, therapy or training that we're trying to get people in the court system to, to do is understand that there are consequences for your behavior, but you need to understand that on the front end because it's too late on the back end. Right, and, 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 and also decide what's really going on. Did I really scream at my child tonight and call my child a name because they spilled the milk or because I had a really bad day at work and this was displaced anger? And yes, we talked about counseling. Maybe the best solution is some counseling. And to take it to a whole nother level as we kind of try to wrap up this show, look at the world right now. We have major family battles with, with countries that live next to each other, that have intermarried, that have gone to school together, and they are now trying to kill each other. Um, I think that, to me, is the ultimate lesson that we need to be teaching from day one with our children, that it's not worth it. It's better to have a friend than a foe and if you can't get along, separate, but don't hurt each other. Judge McIntosh, we're gonna to have to wrap up now, but we know you're also a deacon. And so for those who understand what that means, we're just gonna say, don't forget the power of prayer. Amen. Sometimes Amen. just go into prayer and meditation. We're talking about conflict resolution today on The Window. We were so honored to have as our guest, the Honorable Judge Stephen McIntosh from Franklin County Court of Appeals and Maria Coleman, who has a long track record as a alternative dispute resolution please hear each one of those words alternative ways to resolve disputes and alternative dispute resolution professional we so appreciate you being here if you tuned into today's show late or if you want to catch our last year of 50 shows you can go to our website at thewindownow.com thewindownow.com you can send us feedback about this show or our others by sending us an email message at thewindowfeedback at gmail.com. Take a deep breath, everybody. It's rarely worth it. It's rarely worth it to resolve inevitable conflicts in a way that brings about inevitable results that you might not be comfortable with. Thank you so much to our guests for all you we do for our community. You. Dr. I. I'm, I'm <sighs> feeling so much better. I'm, I'm staying off my social media battles. Uh, I'm not know, doing it anymore. I know it. I know <laughs> it. I love looking out at the sun, and I think the sun is a reminder that we can be brighter Amen. than we have been with these conflicts. So all of you out there that have something to uh, ax or grind with somebody today, a family member, a friend, a neighbor, forget it. Go somewhere. Go to the park and walk. Make it right. Listen to some music. Go out and dance with yourself. Do something positive. 
And we will hope to talk with you next week on The Window. Look in the window. Look in the window. Look in the window.